Let's open our Bibles this morning to the book of Matthew, chapter 6. As you're doing that, let me encourage you to put our Thanksgiving Eve service on your calendar. Uh, many people believe it's the most beautiful service we have all year long at the church. Uh, we come together, we thank the Lord, and it just, there's just something about it uh, that makes you feel so good before you go into the next day and have your turkey. Uh, to be able to thank the Lord together as a church family. In Matthew chapter 6, I'd like to talk to you today about the Lord's Prayer. Uh, the Lord's Prayer is way too big to, um, of course, um, talk to you just one Sunday about it, but we'll touch on a few things this morning. In verse number 7 this morning, And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they'll be heard for their many words. Jesus is teaching about prayer here to his disciples. And uh, you remember my, my former messages on this. Uh, the people were praying in conspicuous places so the people would come by and pat them on the back and, and really think they're in touch with God. And uh, Jesus said, listen, I want you to go into a closet. I want you to go into a private room, close the door, and pray to me secretly. Uh, don't blow a trumpet. And then he says, listen, I don't want you to use vain repetitions either. I don't want you to just try to wear God out, wear him down, just by repeating a lot of words. He says, here, I'm going to give you a little model, uh, something that you can use in the future. Verse 8, therefore do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. In this manner, this is the model prayer, pray. Now, let's, uh, let's read it off the board together, okay? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. What a great prayer. Huh? Amen. What a terrific thing. You know, the Lord's Prayer, uh, I love to hear it sung. Uh, you know, I've never been more enraptured uh, hearing a song when someone puts the Lord's Prayer to music. We've heard it sung. We've, we've prayed it privately. We've prayed it in unison. Uh, and uh, to some of your surprise, we used to pray it in the schools of America. Amen. Some of you are surprised at that. Um, the emphasis on the Lord's Prayer is on us, we, our. You'll, you'll notice that. Uh, as I went through my Bible, I underlined uh, those, those words. Our Father. Um, they are important. Us. Give us and our daily bread. Uh, forgive us our, us our debts as we. Uh, it's not about me. That's very interesting. It's about us. And so what the Lord is doing here is he's, uh, he's giving a prayer to the church. Uh, we are to worship him together. Uh, we are to uh, ask for forgiveness together. Uh, we are to ask for our needs together. 
When somebody in the church has a need, we're supposed to go to bat for them in prayer. Uh, this is a united, this is a, this is a important thing for us to take note of today. The emphasis is on the community. In Luke chapter 11, the disciples said, uh, Lord, would you teach us to pray? And he said, I sure will, and this is it. This is what he taught. It's interesting to me that the first part of the prayer deals with God, and that's always the way it should be. You know, I wish that there was some way that, and this is not going to happen, that we could like re-educate the whole Christian church in America uh, because they need to learn from other countries, uh, other cultures, cultures that don't have as much money as we have. Uh, they put their emphasis on God rather than on themselves. You know, you and I were born with the, the plague of meism, right? It's all about me, right? Well, here the Bible says that uh, the first part of this prayer is about God. The opening statement is music to the ears of the people who live uh, on the mission field. I'm sure that as we bring our missionaries through the church and they tell us about all the different gods that people worship on the mission field, it really blows our mind. I read one time in India alone, they have 30,000 gods. India, 30,000. And so what that means is everything and everything around was a god. And all these gods were angry and mad. And so the people were trying to appeal and appease all of them, keep their anger at bay. And so whenever something bad happened to them, they thought, well, I guess I must not have touched on that god. And so here comes the missionary. And we saw it from our young missionary three or four weeks ago who was here. Jeff Stokes, who's going to Indonesia. He said, when we go to the mission field, we take the whole Bible and we start in the beginning with the creation. And we prove to the people that there is only one God. Amen. Holy cow. Now that's a new phenomenon on the mission field. It really is. Because they think there's the God of the water and there's the God of the trees and there's the God of the rain and there's the God of the leaves. and I mean, there's no end to it. And so for them to realize that there is one God, what a liberating, un incredible thing that is. And then by the time they get to the New Testament, they find out that that God really loves them. And that God put on human form and dropped right down into Bethlehem and walked among them and died on the cross for their sins. I think you saw the movie, or the, I think the New Tribes made a movie out of it. Uh, where they, were, they, they told the whole story, and when they got to Jesus dying on the cross, the people just started to cheer. It was just so spontaneous that, just, that this would, they got it. They just started to cheer that this God would come to earth and pay the debt that they owed to God. Wow. And so, and so they, they proved to the people in the mission field that there is only one God, and he could be called our father. That's a whole different concept of God. Because what are fathers to do? They are to protect. They are to provide. Uh, it's a wonderful thing for them to understand this. I was, um, I was reading a, a little story. There's an old Roman story which talks about a Roman emperor. He was enjoying a triumph. And some of you have heard about these things. And when he came back to Rome, they gave him a parade, and he was parading all of his prisoners. 
through Rome and they were cheering and they, they marched by the stand that the emperor's wife and his uh, children were at. And, uh, and at one time in the parade, this little boy jumped off the platform uh, and uh, he was sitting up there with his mother. He came running through the crowd uh, and of course one of the guards swooped him up, the legionnaire, and uh, he said, listen, you can't, you can't come here. You can't approach the emperor. And uh, little, the little boy laughed and said, listen, he may be your emperor, but he's my father. And so, and so he got access right there in the middle of it all. And so people on the mission field, uh, they, they said, holy, this really proves that God loves us. Our father. Isn't that a wonderful thing? You know, there are many, I read, you know, I keep reading about people that have lost their parents early in life. How many people here lost your, one of your parents early in, early in your life? Would you raise your hand? Okay. Uh, he says here, I want you to pray, our Father. And then, then he goes on and he says in verse number 10, he says, your kingdom come and your will be done. Uh, this refers to God's agenda. This is interesting. God's agenda. God, I want your agenda to be done in the church and in my life. Not our agenda. Boy, isn't that earth-shaking? It's earth-shaking to me, I'll tell you that. Because I've almost always had an agenda. I remember what Clyde Herzog always said. Clyde's my neighbor up there. And he and Judy, they're in Sunday school right now, I have come to our church almost from the beginning. He says, Pastor, I hate to walk around the block with you. I keep trying to get Clyde to walk. Uh, I, he says, I hate to w walk around the block with you. He says, you're like a car salesman. You're always trying to sell me something, you know. And so I've always had kind of an agenda, you know. And, and, but when I, come here, when I come here, this puts it in perspective, and I'm really convicted. Your kingdom come. Your agenda, could it be mine, Lord? Now that's refreshing, isn't it? That's good for us. Uh, our Father which art in heaven, your kingdom come, your will be done. And then the big one, look at this one. Give us this day our daily bread. Boy, what a prayer. And what a prayer at this time in our culture. You know, I wish that we could pray, Lord, give us our yearly bread so that we could like relax after a while once we got it, you know. It's like, okay, God, here, here it is. <sighs> okay. Uh, or I wish we could pray, Lord, give me my lifetime bread. That would be better yet, wouldn't it? Amen. To know that you can make it for a lifetime. But he says, here, I want you to pray, give me your daily bread. And boy, I'll tell you what, there's some people in our church praying that prayer right now. Lord, let this job last through the week. Let this job last for the, through the month, Lord. Uh, give me... Give me this daily bread. And, and, and it's interesting because this is a prayer for community. Uh, whenever the job decline uh, happened here, I can't remember how many months ago, I remember it right away it affected our church in the people who work with their hands, you know, construction people, because the jobs were just drying up. And I remember I had a short little list, and I called them on the phone, and I said, listen, I just want you to know that your church is standing behind you. We're praying for you. Uh, because we're part of the community. We're in this thing together. We're part of the family of God. And uh, as far as I know, most of our people uh, are working right now, for which we thank the Lord. 
but I want to put you on high alert that when you see somebody struggling in the church, you, you go to bat for them because they need their daily bread. They really do. And so the Lord says here, let, uh, let, let me be your source. Pray for your daily bread. Then look what it says. Verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. You know, I've, you've read that so many times. You've prayed that so many times without even thinking. You know, what happens is when something gets familiar, you just miss it, you know. You just miss it. Uh, forgive us of our debts as we forgive others. Go down to verse number 14. After the end of the prayer and the amen, the Lord picks up the story and goes back and comments on that statement. Look at verse 14. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Two verses. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, boy, that is, that's incredible right there. Forgiveness. The Lord says, listen, I want you to pray for forgiveness as we forgive others. Forgive me, Lord, in proportion to how I forgive other people. Do you get that? Forgive me, Lord, in proportion to how I forgive other people. You know, whenever you and I first come to Christ, uh, we receive forgiveness. And forgiveness is one of the most awesome things in all the world, isn't it? I've had many people through the years after they've come to Christ, they said, I just feel like this tremendous weight has been lifted off of me. Ah, I feel forgiven. I feel like I'm at peace with God. Well, you know, whenever we come to Christ, uh, the first prayer of forgiveness deals with our relationship with him. Uh, Jesus wipes the slate clean. When we ask for forgiveness, he forgives us, doesn't he? And we don't have any, any doubt about it. We call that justification, and I almost hate to use that word because that's kind of a hard word to, for just anybody to understand. It's not a word we use in our culture. Um, but it simply means just as though we've never sinned. Whenever we come to Christ and we invite Jesus into our heart and we turn from our sins and turn to him to be our Savior, he wipes the slate clean. Every sin we've ever committed in the past, the present, and the future is gone. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. We stand in God's presence justified. Declared righteous is another way to say it. Acquitted, released from the debt of sin. We're going to run through quickly a, a, a few scriptures here. Romans 5.1. Let's, uh, let's put that on the... Let's read it together, okay? Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here's the person that stops running from God and starts running to God right here. Having been declared righteous by faith, not works... We have peace with God. What a wonderful thing it is to have peace. Amen. Uh, that, and we say, Lord, oh, this is so great to have peace with God. Uh, another is Romans 8.1. Let's look at that. Let's read it. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now no judgment to those who are in Christ. When we accept Jesus as our Savior, uh, we get out of the judgment thing. 
We, and here's the reason. is because Jesus took our judgment upon the cross. And when we trust him by faith, uh, he takes us out of the line for the great white throne judgment, the judgment of those who don't accept Christ as their Savior. John 5.24 is another great verse. Let's read it. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Isn't that cool? Man, you can't get any plainer than that, can you? Shall not come into judgment. Man, that ought to make us cheer in the church today. Um, it's, the Bible says when we accept Christ as our Savior, he, we have everlasting life. Now, not in the future. It begins the moment that Christ comes into your heart. Everlasting life, no judgment. Um, we have another one. Go ahead, Cindy. Let's read this. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Well, we have another one. Go ahead, Cindy. Let's read this. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, to those who believe in his name. When you receive Christ, you become a child of God. You put your feet under his table. He's your father. You're in his family. That's relationship. You are eternally related to the Lord then. I mean, that's fixed, that's sealed, that's forever. Because I, he said, I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. That's our relationship. Now, when we come to this passage here in Matthew about forgiveness, it's not talking about that. These people here to whom he's speaking have already have a relationship with him. This is talking about fellowship with the Lord. You know, you, whenever you were born, you were born into a family, that relationship was fixed. He's my kid for better or for worse. That's it. Um, that's just the way it works. But fellowship is another issue altogether. And so the Lord here is trying to keep your fellowship in good, strong connection with him when he talks about forgiveness. This is, I call, the journey of fellowship. Our fellowship ebbs and flows with God, doesn't it? Sometimes we get real close to God. Most of the time, that's when we have a big need, right? And the pressure's on, and we say, I think I better go see God for a while. I spend an awful lot of time over there, by the way. And then when the pressure is off, what do we do? Let's see, I just think I'll just wander around over here for a while and do my own thing until the pressure is on again. Our, our fellowship ebbs and flows with God. He wants it to be tight, strong. But now, now get this point. Fellowship, we have fellowship with God by spreading forgiveness around. Okay? If I were to ask you this morning, I'm not going to do that. If I were to ask you, how many people know for sure that you have a good, solid relationship with God? You invited him into your heart. He, the Spirit of God is living in your life. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. Just do it in your heart, okay? If you know that for sure, in your heart. Okay. Now, that's, that's settled. Now God wants to walk with you the rest of your life. 
He wants you to be close to him because he wants to lead you in paths of righteousness for your namesake. Because he always wants to lead you in the right way. And so he loves you. And don't you want your kids to go in the right way? Boy, you sure do, don't you? And so now that you become God's child, he wants you to go in the right way. And so a, f- a fellowship with, with the Lord is tightened when we forgive others in the proportion. He forgives us in proportion to how we forgive others. Fellowship is based on day-by-day cleansing. Now, now, I want you to get this. I think it's in your notes, isn't it? Fellowship is based on day-to-day cleansing. Salvation is based on our faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ upon the cross. But what happens is when we are completely cleansed, we walk through this world and we get dirty feet, don't we? It's like, yike, ooh, I stepped in it. You know, we get dirty feet when we walk through this world and we feel bad. We say things we shouldn't do, say, we do things we shouldn't do, we hear things we shouldn't hear, we see things we certainly shouldn't see, and we feel just dirty. And so what happens is, is we fall out of, uh, of communion with God because he's holy and he's perfect and we feel strange. And so he, he then invites us for daily cleansing. And I want you to turn with me in your Bible back toward the book of Revelation to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. Verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Because Christ forgives you of your sin, past, present, and future, and saves you positionally, that doesn't mean, of course that uh, you don't sin. We're all sinners saved by grace, right? Let's say it. Sinners saved by grace. One more time. Sinners saved by grace. Because we accept Christ, the finished work of Christ, we don't, we're still sinners. And so that's what he's saying right here. He says, don't even let this cross your mind. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Then he says, he tells us what to do with our daily transgressions. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See the little word if. If we confess, if we agree with God. And so let me put this in context. Okay, we walk through this world, we get dirty feet. Every day, I think, dirty feet. And so we come to the Lord at the end of the day and we say, Lord, I I shouldn't have done that. I hear your spirit speaking to me and I'm sorry for that and I shouldn't have acted like that. I'm agreeing with you, God. You're telling me something, and I agree completely. Forgive me, Lord. And the Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. That means cleanse our conscience. Because when you sin, you have a guilty conscience, right? You may say, oh, I'm guilty all the time. And I'm sure that if I were to ask you this morning how many people are guilty all the time, half of you at least would raise your hand because we walk in a fallen world, right? And, and, and we're just, it just grates against us. It just hurts us. And so we come to the Lord and we agree with him. And he says, listen, if you come to me and you confess your sins, daily sins, uh, I'll, I'll forgive you. 
I'll cleanse you and I'll release you from your, the guilt. Now this is, this is a miracle here, by the way, I'm talking about today. Let's say, for instance, you walk a week through the world and don't ask for forgiveness. Dirty feet. More dirty feet. Next day, dirty feet. <laughs> Let's say you do it for a month. You're so burdened down and you're so guilty and you're so weighted down that you can hardly move. And so uh, Jesus said, I want you to pray for daily bread. I think the implication is I want you to pray for daily forgiveness as you forgive others. Um, it's based on, and let's go on here. We didn't read verse number 10. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Now, this is a great thing. Let's go to Proverbs, Cindy, 28, 13. Let's read this, please. He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Here's another one, Cindy, the next one. Let's read this. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Remember how, how elated you were when you accepted the Lord as your Savior. Man, I remember that as like, I floated. Now, not everybody floats. Not everybody's a floater, okay? But I was. I like, I didn't hit the ground for days after I accepted Jesus as my Savior. And the Bible says here, this is David talking. He said, when I kept silent, I didn't confess my sins. My bones grew old. My, your hand was heavy upon me, my vitality. It's like, it's like a battery that wears down under the load and the pressure of sin. That's what it is. And so here you are, you have all the good intentions of the world, but you're not confessing your daily sins to the Lord, and so you just keep getting more burdened and more burdened and slower, and you just get discouraged. That's what David said in... He said, then I acknowledge my sin to you. And he says, I will confess my transgressions. And that's when, that's when the victory comes in the Christian life. You say, okay, I can go again. I can go again. Because God has removed somehow. Now, this has got to be a miracle how this whole thing works. God has removed the guilt of my dirty feet from yesterday because I asked him to do it. Because he knows I can't be a productive Christian running on half power. Well, what's the consequence of not forgiving others? Boy, this is big. We read that. First of all, we're not forgiven of our daily sins. Now, when we pray for forgiveness and have not forgiven others, we are asking God not to forgive us. I'm going to say that one more time. That's a long sentence. When we pray for forgiveness and have not forgiven others, we're asking God not to forgive us. And so here we are. We're saying to the Lord, Lord, forgive me 
But in reality, we're saying, don't forgive me. And we're going through this whole routine and nothing positive is happening in our life because this, condition, this forgiveness is conditional on our forgiving others. Wow. You might say, that's why I feel so bad. Very well could be. Sure. Uh, our guilt remains. People say, I just can't shake this guilt. I'm just under pressure and guilt all the time. Well, if we confess our sins, the Bible says God will lift that off of you. Uh, we're stepping out of God's will by not confessing our sins to him. Uh, we've broken his commandment to forgive. And you know what's going to happen to us? Now listen. Boy, I wish I, wish I had more time uh, to develop this. Uh, you know what's going to happen to us? God is going to chasten us because we have disobeyed the commands of the Lord. Chasten. And what does that mean? Well, if you have your Bible, turn quickly with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. You know, I've always been of this opinion that God loves you too much to live your life the way you want to. You know, uh, you might say, hey, God, I want to do this my way. And God says, listen, you're my child. Listen to me. Please listen to me. And then when we don't listen, he says, listen, you better listen to me. Would you listen to me? You know, you know how the voice of the parents always gets stricter? And then after a while, he says, listen, I'm going to make you listen to me. You know, he has all kind of resources at his disposal, by the way, you know. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5. Look at that. And you have forgotten this exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, the discipline, nor be discouraged when he rebukes you. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens. Now, let's say that together. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens. One more time. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens. Do you think God loves you today? He certainly does. So this is part of his love. Would a parent let a child do what they want to do if they really love them? Not on your life. And so God's the same way. He says, if you're my, you, you're my family, listen, uh, I'm going to chasten you. And scourges every son whom he receives. Everyone, not, not just one or two, but everybody. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom the father does not chasten? Every son, every daughter I know has been disciplined by their parents usually. And you might say, well, I know somebody that has it. Well, I don't. Verse, verse, verse 8. And if you were without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. If God is not correcting you, then you're not in his family. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us. And you're sitting there and you say, man, I remember those days. When I tell people what my dad used to do, <laughs> they, they cringe. It was called child abuse now. It would be called child abuse now. Not, but, uh, he chased me around the house with a chain, a dog chain. Uh, and then he cornered me one time in the bathroom, in the tub. I fell in the tub. And he was trying to hit me with his chain. I don't want to give you any ideas. He's trying to hit me with his chain, and I was just laughing like crazy. And it was, you know, I was a big kid. I could have probably pushed him out of the way. He was having a good time, though. And so, 
And so here the Bible talks about that right here. Uh, your human fathers corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit. Some parents chasten their kids just to have peace in the house most of the time. But God chastens us for a different purpose, for our profit that we may become partakers of his holiness. The Bible says in the next verse, it's painful, sure, but it's going to produce something. And so uh, God will get our attention. It's a sign of God's love. It proves we're a family member. Uh, it's all good, but it's painful. And we grow as a result of it. Forgiveness is, uh, the grace of forgiveness is to care more about a person than about what he has done, to let them go. Forgiveness is releasing the other person from your anger to give them freedom. You know, it's, fun, it's no fun to have people mad at you, is it? Angry with you. Using their anger as a tool against you. I'll show you. I'll be mad for three weeks this time. Forgiveness is uh, letting them go, letting them be free from your anger. It's a wonderful thing. You might say, well, uh, I don't want to do that. You know, if someone hurts you and you hurt them back, that's not forgiveness. Uh, you don't forgive them. You just settle the score. You retaliate. You have a score sheet. Okay, you hurt me, I hurt you. This person hurts me two, twice, I hurt them twice. And so you got this big sheet. Check, check. See, how many more do they have? So, and you're going around keeping score. Do we have 1 Corinthians 13.4 uh, up there? Oh, let's read this. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Love does not demand its own way. Love is not irritable, and it keeps no record of when it has been wrong. Holy cow. Isn't that incredible? The score sheet has to be thrown away. And you say, well, who's going to keep score then? <laughs> Somebody has to keep score. God keeps score. And God will take care of the person who sins against you. Mark it down. He keeps score. Well, we're not supposed to carry a grudge. You know why it burns up so much energy, doesn't it? Not, par not carrying the pain of the past into the present. How many of us today are whipped because of the pain of the past? And we keep bringing it up all the time. We keep dragging it into the present. You know, the Bible says that, that we need to concentrate on the present because that's all the energy that we have. And I love what Paul says in Philippians 3.13. Let's read that. And I'm wearing you out today. Okay, let's read this. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, forgetting the past. Isn't that what hurts us? Really hurts. Forget the past, go into the future, with forgiveness. And so I want to charge everybody in the church today. 
with this last verse. I promise this is the last one. Ephesians 4.32. Let's read this. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. And that's big. When we come to the Lord and we ask him to forgive us of our daily sins, that means to lift the burden, the guilt, clear our conscience. Does, does he do it? Sure he does. And so he says, I want you to go out, I want you to do the same thing. Forgiving one another as God forgave us. And so all of us who have come to Christ have been forgiven much, right? And so what we should do is we should go out of here with the gift of forgiveness and start spreading it around. And that means this, releasing people from your anger, turning them over to God. Wow. Let's bow our heads in prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning, I'm sure that uh, probably there are some few people in the church that have heard this teaching before. But it's good for all of us to be reminded of this because sometimes we go through, we ask the Lord, oh Lord forgive me, but we have forgotten that that prayer is to be prayed when we have forgiven others what they've done to us. And I know that there are probably some scars so big in, in your life because you can't get through life without having some pretty big scars. I just want to encourage you today to, uh, to, to forgive, okay? That means go on. It doesn't mean forget. It means go on and release the people that have hurt you from your anger so that you have strength for the journey. Dear Lord, as we um, come to you now, I pray, Lord, that as we have our invitation this morning that you'll move among our church. I know it's so easy for all of us to hang on to hurts, to say, I'll get back one of these days. Where's my score sheet? They deserve more pain than this. Lord, forgive us for that. You are the one who balances the books, not, it's not us. I pray that you'll help us, Lord, to go out and start forgiving people in the way you teach us in the Bible so that when we pray to you that we can be forgiven of our sins. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.